Once I learned that you could sell things or really create something of value to someone else, then it was like, oh my gosh, you can make the whole world better. The whole world can be better. Welcome to Teach Me Something New. I'm your host, Britt Morin, and this is a production of iHeartRadio and Brit Co. All my life, everyone's told me I should focus on being good at one thing. But the truth is, I'm curious about a lot of things. But how do you learn about everything? The answer? Make the world's best experts teach you in less than an hour. So come along with me as we all learn something new. Well, guys, I have a newfound appreciation for ice cream after chatting with today's guest, Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream founder, Jenny Britton-Bauer. As an ice cream maker and entrepreneur, Jenny has developed thousands of craveable flavor combinations that all start with a smell. Yes, a smell. It's amazing. Listen in as Jenny shares more about that, plus how she went from humble beginnings, living off of $638 a month, scooping ice cream at a local Ohio farmer's market, to building a $100 million dessert brand recognized across the U.S. Jenny also weighs in on the cup versus cone debate, the number one flavor combination of ice cream that all humans tend to love, plus her ethos about how to learn more about yourself based on your favorite ice cream flavor. Tune in to this special episode that was recorded live in front of hundreds of female entrepreneurs as part of Selfmade, Britain Co.'s 10-week startup school for anyone who wants to start or grow a business. And now, ice cream, you scream. We all scream for Jenny's ice cream. I will start by saying welcome, Jenny Britton. How are you? Thanks for being here with us today. Thank you. I'm so, so excited to be with all of you today. So cool. I'm in Ohio. It's kind of rainy in Ohio today, so it's great to have such sunshiny faces to look at. (laughs) And you're not usually in Ohio, right? Are you usually in LA? Well, I spend a lot of time in LA pre-COVID because, well, first of all, my core friend group is actually in LA, my core entrepreneur friend group, the ones that like really understand me. But after COVID, I really kind of settled in here much more permanently. So I used to be in LA at least once a month. And I hope to go back to that soon. I do love it here. I mean, it is my home base, but I can think here. And there's a creativity that I get here that I don't actually get when I'm surrounded by amazing creative people. (laughs) I have to be alone. So I do love coming back here to create. I love that you are a small town girl from Ohio who has now taken on the world of ice cream, which we are going to hear all about. But let's take a step back first and rewind. What is it about you that was always destined for entrepreneurship? Or was that a total surprise for you halfway through life or a quarter way through life? It was definitely not a surprise. I had had businesses from the time I was a kid. A lot of entrepreneurs kind of start when we're young. I think that there is something about freedom that entrepreneurship offers. I never was the kind of human, you know, kid or adult that can work for someone else or even that can really do anything. I mean, that somebody else wants me to do. I mean, if somebody else tells me to brush my teeth, I'm like, oh man, now I can't, you know? I have to be on my own fame. So I didn't do well in school. I didn't like it. I was like doing everything I could to just shut down there and travel in my imagination somewhere else. The other thing is that I was a very restless kid. I had lots of ideas, you know, ADHD kind of situation, which 
for me is a superpower. And I don't understand why we don't teach everyone that that's a superpower because people will say I'm impulsive and I'm like, yeah, and I'm also just curious. The ADHD thing is so real. It's insane. My husband deals with it. I have a ton of friends who were most genius of all my friends. And they sucked in school because when you have ADHD or ADD, you really zone in on the stuff you like and everything else kind of goes by the wayside. (laughs) But when you like something, you learn it and you master it and you become an expert at it. And I think that should be celebrated. So I just wanted to pause there for neurodiversity celebration's sake and say that's amazing and you're a genius. There's something about like internally led discipline versus externally driven discipline that I think about a lot because I think like people earlier in my life would have said that I didn't have discipline. And yet I've accomplished far more than most people I knew back then. But the thing about it is we live in this process and predictability led culture, society, and people like me aren't going to sign up for your process. I'm making my own. And predictability, it's only over in my world. I'm not here to like fit into your system. And that's a lot of people like me. And then, you know, you're sort of like, artists or outsiders or whatever, and you go uphill your whole life until you finally arrive and then everybody celebrates you. You know, no one's on your side until everyone is. And it's kind of an interesting life, but it is also a life of freedom. So I knew I would be an entrepreneur, definitely, because I knew from an early age that I was a nice person, but unmanageable. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of a requirement for an entrepreneur. You have to be a little bit unmanageable because frankly, you just have to manage yourself. And what about your parents? Like were doors open for you or did you have a struggle sort of walking your own walk? And did you have any like little businesses as you were growing up or did you not start your first business until you were an adult? I had lots of businesses. I was lucky to have two grandmothers. My parents struggled royally in their lives. They were very young when they had children. They didn't have a great marriage. All of the stuff that people deal with, you know, alcoholism, mental health issues, all of that stuff, never could keep jobs, you know, stuff like that. So very much a kid growing up, moving every year to a different school, never had a friend longer than a year. I did have my sister who was 18 months younger than me. So we were close, but kind of nomadic, kind of on our own pretty early. But I had two grandmothers that were really special to me. One grandmother was an art teacher and also an artist. And she had 10 acres of forest land and we were out there every weekend. And it was amazing. We had honeybees and maple trees and gardens. And we used to collect things and then make art out of them. So for instance, we might pick cattails out of a ditch, dry them one weekend, dye them the next, and then turn them into baskets, like weave them into baskets. But then I would take that over to my other grandmother's house, Betty. And she's just like the most resourceful person ever. And she was like, this is really cool. I bet 10 people in this neighborhood would buy one of those. So we would then go get cattails out of her ditch and do the same thing only industrially, right? And so there was this tension. The two grandmothers didn't get along either. Oh man, I was like waiting for them to be like co-founders because one's the artist, one's the businesswoman. Betty's like full business. Enid is like the artist. I'm like grandma businesses would be amazing. Yeah, they just were very, very, very different. And I loved them both in totally different ways. But it was really cool that like Enid, the artist, never wanted to make the same thing twice. She moved on and she did something new and beautiful and different and with this essence to it that is art. And I loved that, but I also loved the idea of making the same exact thing 10 times in a row. And the 10th one, you couldn't tell from the first one. I wanted it to be exact. So I think that was the sort of beginning of entrepreneurship. And once I learned that you could sell things or really create something of value to someone else, then it was like, oh my gosh, you can make the whole world better. The whole world can be better. 
my sister and I were just always starting businesses constantly. I love what you said. Once you learn that you can make something of value for somebody else, you realize the whole world could be better. And it reminds me of that famous Steve Jobs quote, which is that no one in this world is smarter than you. I'm going to butcher it now, but like they basically just saw a problem that they felt confident enough they could go solve. And they probably were bad at it at first. This is the brick quote. Then they're probably bad at it at first, but they kept trying and perfecting it and perfecting it and listening and listening. And over time, you have things like Apple and you have things like Netflix and all the big major companies of this world. So important for us to get the pendulum in America back away from, I think, pitch and launch companies, taking money from other people, starting big and growing, right? That's fine for some ideas, but it's really important to get it back onto the other side because we teach kids right now that's the only way to start a business. To get that back to, you know what? Business ideas come from exploring the world. Business ideas come from, I love burritos, right? They don't come from business school. They're not a degree, right? It comes from, I'm a skateboarder. I'm the one that should be inventing the new skateboard, right? And that's a business idea. So he's exactly right. And that's exactly what I think too. No one is smarter than you on this front because whether you're like a burrito person or an ice cream person or a skateboarding person, you are the one who knows the others like you deeply and you're going to find them all and that's your community and that becomes your company, right? In fact, you should invest the money you would have spent in business school on your idea. <laughs> totally. I mean, when we start self-made, we do this thing called Big Idea Bootcamp, which is like, who are you as a person? What were the breadcrumbs along your path of life that led you to where you are now? So what were the adversities you faced? What were the hobbies you loved? The things that truly lit you up that people said you were good at, that you thought you were good at? Who did you aspire to be like? Who were your role models? All of these are clues as to that thing you love, the problem you probably should be solving because you are the best suited to solve it. And ultimately, the thing that's going to make you happiest, which like exudes to everyone around you, including your customers, which make them want to buy from you more and support you, right? And so I think so often in life where we go astray and where we get unhappy in our jobs is when we're doing the thing that is not fulfilling us and not motivating us. And frankly, like a job is just a job when it's just something you get paid for. But a job is fulfilling and meaningful in your life when it's something that lights you up every night that you can't fall asleep about because you just have so many ideas, you have so many thoughts about, and that's how you know you're on the right path. Entrepreneurship is an act of rebellion. You're like, something's got to change and I'm the one to do it, right? And you're like planting your stake in the ground and that becomes this fire like nothing else and you could be. I will say too, and this is like my 26th year as an entrepreneur, like never worked for anybody else besides like high school jobs, but that passion has been by far more important to me than any money that I could have gotten from anybody. Mm-hmm. And we put all of that emphasis on getting money. And actually we need to put emphasis on, I actually hate the word, especially when it comes to women, follow your dreams and your passion. Yeah, But it is passion in the truest sense that when you have that and you can only find it from within and things that you love, truly, there's nothing that can stop you. Somebody can give you millions of dollars and you can just waste it and go whatever. But like passion, you can start with nothing. Oh, yeah. I know so many wealthy, unhappy people, by the way. (laughs) Don't we know? But I always say nobody starts from nothing. We always have our brain, our brawn and our buddies and then your heart and spirit, soul, fire, you know? Yes. And that is in America for anyone to start where they're at and build anything they can imagine. Totally. Right? Yeah. 
exactly. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Okay, so tell us the Jenny's ice cream story. You, at first, just became fascinated with scents, like smells. Is that how this whole thing got started? Can you unpack this for us? It's just what we've been talking about just now. I was young. I was 22 years old, 21. I was at Ohio State University. I'd actually not gotten in, but I wrote them a letter and they've changed their mind. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. You didn't get in. So you wrote the university a letter. Mm, hang on. <laughs> you're like, wait, you're wrong, actually. I think you get, sent me yeah, the wrong like, letter. Yeah, a mistake because I got straight D's in high school because I engineered that because I wanted to work. And my mother <laughs> had a baby and she was sick and I had to take care of him a lot and I was working full time. So I just took all the easy classes. But here's what I learned. And they were like, oh, cool. Okay, here, you can come in, which was really awesome because I loved it there so much. But yeah, so I was there and I was in true form, not on a degree track. Of course, all the counselors were like, okay, first you should take this. Second, you should take this. And I was like, yeah, but actually I want to take cultural anthropology. And then I want to take art history. And there's a whole bunch of fine arts that I need to take. So that was what I was doing. But I encourage people, if they get into the university life like that, that's what you should be doing is exploring, not following what everybody else tells you to do. You should figure out what lights you up. What's your passion? And for me, it was just learning. It was learning history and it was learning how to communicate through writing and drawing. Illustration was my thing in the fine arts. So I was really taking everything that was exciting. There was this really cute boy named Julian who was from Paris and he was studying scent at Ohio State in the chemistry department. And he would bring me these little vials of scented compounds. And I learned that I was really connected to my sense of smell. Like a nose? Yeah. And I was like, should I be a perfumer? But then that's mostly synthetic. And I wasn't super excited about that. But I was like, can I tell stories through scent? Can I transport myself back to my grandmother's kitchen in scent? Can I transport someone else through scent? And long story short, I was also working at the French pastry shop where I'd worked in high school and studying art and doing this thing. That's what led me to ice cream. So it was like the crossroads to all of the things that I loved, telling stories, making something and scent. I started making like scented ice creams. And I learned literally in the second that I first made the first batch, I realized that butterfat melts below body temperature. It's the perfect carrier of scent. It's solid at room temperature. As soon as it hits the warmth of your body, it relaxes and then volatilizes scent into your nose. Even an inexpensive vanilla, synthetic vanilla could be considered an edible perfume. So vanilla, chocolate, peppermint, coffee, literally all of the flavors of ice cream, they are all scents, not tastes. The only thing you can taste on your tongue is sweet, sour, bitter, salty, and this thing called umami, which is like tomatoes. Everything else is a scent. And ice cream, because you don't cook it after the scent is in. So like you could put like rose petal in a cookie, but it'll just bake out. Whereas ice cream, you can put like a really beautiful rose petal in there and it will just adhere to the butterfat and get locked in. And as soon as it hits your tongue, it blooms. It's kind of like a non-sexy word. Retro-nasally, it's when you smell what you're eating behind your nose. I love that word, retro-nasally. Let's use that in a sentence this week, everyone. Right. That's amazing. But once I realized that, it was like, that was it. So I was by myself. My family had dissolved. I was like trying to figure out my life. And from that point on, my life was about asking other people for help. How can someone help me get into business, get this started? help me with finance, help me with all the stuff that I need. And I started in a farmer's market with a friend on a loan from her parents about six months later. I mean, I actually walked out of art class. There was like a figure drawing class and it was like three hours long and a model walked in. I didn't want to draw. And I just was like, I'm out of here. I'm going to make ice cream. 
Okay, so you're obsessed with scent. And what was the connection to like you just experimenting with buttermilk one day? Like, did you make ice cream a lot at the time? Or butterfat, sorry? So butterfat is the fat that's in milk. And because I'd worked at the pastry shop, I'd been pursuing pastry a little bit. So I'd been learning a lot of the- Oh, because you're at the pastry shop. Yeah. I knew like cream and those ingredients. And I'd also read every book on ancient perfuming and perfuming. So ancient perfumers load up fat and oil, but like they create a fat oil blend that is solid at room temperature, but melts immediately on contact with your skin. So different fats have different melting points and you can arrange that however you want to. It's science, but it's also ancient and load that up with scent. And then that's your scent, your perfume. Basically that is what ice cream is. And so I'd read all these books about perfumers doing that and their methods. And I was like, that's exactly what making ice cream is. My grandmother always said, don't put the onion next to the butter because the butter will absorb the scent of the onion. Butter is the fat that's in cream. It's just suspended in tiny molecules throughout the cream, right? And so you're literally on a molecular level scenting each one of those molecules of butter in the cream. And that's ice cream. Wait, this also makes sense why refrigerators have a butter shelf that has a closed door on it. Learning so many new things right now about fat and scent. So you're like, cool, I can put scents in ice cream. You're still kind of in school, but like playing around with making batches of ice creams. And then what? Did you like give them to your friends? Like, do you guys want to have an ice cream party? Very rapidly, I became known as the ice cream girl. Everywhere I went, I had to have ice cream with me. So within a year, though, I was up and running at the North Market, which is our indoor farmer's market. But yeah, I was making ice creams at home. It started, I was just blending vanilla bean ice cream with like a Bulgarian rose essential oil. So literally scenting ice cream. And then I started buying like sweet basil at the farmer's market and making the ice cream from scratch and steeping it in the cream and then freezing it and taking that to parties with me. And what were some of the first reactions that people were giving you? Like, how did you know you were onto something? That was the thing. The whole reason I made ice cream the very first time was to take it to a dinner party. And I just thought it was a cool idea. And the moment that I tasted it, my first thought was, oh my God, ice cream can be so much better. At the time, it was like all like chunks and other things, but nobody was really focused on the ice cream. Or it was all about nostalgia instead of about cool, you know, beautiful ice cream. So I was like, nobody liked me. I mean, I had pink hair at the time. I would never walk into one of those heritage American ice cream shops. I can feel comfortable there. So I was like, ice cream can be so much more than what it is. And that was the seed of the idea, which I then projected into the future. I think that's how you get a vision. It's like, you have the seed of an idea. Ice cream can be better. And then it was like, and so what if I succeed? what does this look like? Well, if Ben and Jerry's can do it, I can do it in my way, right? So I can have shops, I can have grocery, whatever, whatever. So it was like, I became kind of known from that very first night. I took those ice creams to the party and everybody went crazy about them and confirmed exactly my experience, what I had just experienced. And then from then on, even to this day, when I bring ice cream out, it's like this fully animated moment you know, because our ice creams are about variety. And so everybody has to try different ones and have a conversation and feed other people. And there's just like this dynamism in that moment where Mm -hmm. everybody's kind of freaking out. And it's Mm -hmm. a beautiful thing. But that was what was happening back then. And it just confirmed, this is what I need to be focused on. I love that you chose a category that I think many would feel like is really saturated. Like there's a zillion ice cream brands. Ohio is a really big ice cream. It's a top five dairy state. Whoa, I never knew that. Okay, so you're like walking into this industry with a million ice cream brands. Did you ever do like a competitive landscape? Like, 
where do I fit into this? How am I going to be different than all of those? Or size the market? Or did you think this can make me a million dollars or a billion dollars? How did you even think about the scale of this opportunity? Literally, I saw Ben and Jerry's and I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I can find that many customers. And I will tell you, I didn't do like a true competitive analysis. I mean, in a way that really impacted strategy until about two years ago. We're about quality and American ice cream, sort of hard pack American ice cream. But we are also about personality and art and optimism and friendship and all of those things. Whereas Ben & Jerry's has their sort of unique and fun character. We have our own unique and fun character which is different from theirs. But then, you know, Haagen-Dazs doesn't really have a character. It's just about quality, which is beautiful. So that's kind of what I thought. I was like, I'll just take half of both of their business. (laughs) And how big are those businesses? Did you look, did you Google how big are they? I still don't know. (laughs) That's amazing. I just know that it's big enough for me to make a business. I love it. Yeah. It's like, just keep going, you know, just start and go. Yeah. But, you know, the other thing is that I didn't ever have to convince anybody to give me money until much later when we had very established three different channels of business. We were an established, but I didn't take money until 2016, really. How did you do it then? Because you had to buy equipment, presumably a bunch of freezers. We borrowed it. That is always one of my big, you know, if you can borrow the money. And that was the best advice I ever got. I was trying to get money from someone in those early days from a family that I was actually nannying for. It was like the only rich person I knew, right? I was looking for $35,000 and I didn't think I'd get one from the bank because I just didn't have any credit. And they loved the ice cream, loved the idea. And they were like, we'll give you the money, but don't take it because we'll own too much of your business right now. And you need that because you don't know where it's going to go in the future. So go to the bank, however many times you need to do that to get that money. And it was hard. I mean, it took six months to get it from the bank. I had to have like my boyfriend who had a regular job come with me, which meant he owned. Whoa. Your boyfriend owned part of the company? Yeah. Well, I mean, we were like living together and getting... It's very serious. I don't know if that would be the same now or not, but yeah, it was kind of annoying actually. So you got a bank loan. What did you pay for in those early days? A couple of freezers, the ice cream machine, which was $14,000. It was a big part of everything. The machine took up more than like half the budget probably. And then just like tables and an ice cream cabinet out front for dipping, for scooping ice cream. And we were in the market. So it was really just like metal shelving and put up some lights. And I didn't have a sign. I just opened in a farmer's market. So it was just the equipment and me. And you could see me making ice creams. I had my first business, which was called Scream. It lasted four years. I made lots of mistakes. That went away. Then I started Jenny's back in the market in 2002. And you could see me in the market for about 10 years, just buying ingredients, making them into ice creams and serving them with a few high school kids. Oh, I didn't realize this. So you look at the farmer's market, going to get fruits and vegetables and rose and flowers and butterfat and milk. All of it. Yes. And you just made it right there from the farmer's market ingredients. Cutting cantaloupes in that season. And yeah, I mean, everything. And I had like three or four high school kids that came in to help. And we just had a ball. It was awesome. I mean, it was also extremely hard. And the first one, I didn't have any help at all. So my first business was called Scream. And it was just me. I mean, I had a friend whose parents donated, well, sort of, but like loaned us money for the business. But she otherwise had another business and she wasn't interested in doing much with it. So I was there every day and I really actually loved it. And then I also burned out because it was the only days we were closed were Mondays. And I was there from morning to night. And 
I made $638 a month for all of those years to live off of. So wow. I didn't have a car. I walked to work. I rode my bike or I took a bus and had to rely on a lot of friends to help me in many ways. I literally traded ice cream for food. <laughs> but Smart. to me, it was like the greatest adventure ever. I would have way rather been there than in school. So I lived in a room for $238 a month in this like old apartment building. It was actually kind of sketchy. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Very resourceful of you. $638 a month. And were you making any profit on the ice cream at that point? Not really, but we weren't losing money, but was just like barely getting by. Yeah. But I do think one of the reasons that I try to reach people who maybe have been in the struggle and like so many of us have in America is because you are more resilient to these early days of business and maybe even like just so grateful that it's this life that has potential freedom attached to it. And you can live on a shoestring and find your passion and gratitude comes from that versus the expectations I think that you get. I mean, I probably couldn't go back to doing that now, even though I spent so many years of my life. Actually, still, I can say most of my life, I lived off of minimum wage and worked way longer hours that I didn't get paid for. It was just such a great adventure that I was grateful for it the whole time. It never bothered me. I never thought of entrepreneurship as gold toilets and Ferraris. (laughs) But I do think that some people are taught that now. It's like, and I'm not trying to glorify like hustle. It's not that it's not hustle and growth. It's hustle toward your idea. And it feels different, I think, than when you're just trying to make money, 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 get attention, get attention versus like creating something, creating a community with people who care about you and what you're making and growing together. You know, I think of entrepreneurship as an act of co-creation with your customers and your suppliers. And of course I studied art. So I think about these kinds of things a little more than like this sort of business world does, but I think that's so relevant because you're right. I think what we see on Shark Tank and Silicon Valley and all of these things are like, it's a get rich quick business. It's like, this is how I'm going to become a millionaire or a billionaire. And I'm just going to, within five years, totally make it. And I work in venture capital now. And so trust me, this is part of my world. And it's so funny to have to wear that hat, but also the hat of representing small businesses who do want to make enough money to get by and be barely profitable. And that's an amazing life for them, you know, and there's everything in between. That runway. So I always knew we were going to grow. I just knew that we were only going to have an opportunity to grow if we figured out who we are. And I needed a decade to do that. You know what I mean? The ice cream world is very crowded, cutthroat as any business is, but like even worse you got the giants and the little people can't get in. And so I knew we were going to have to build authentically with real people, but I didn't know what I was doing, including in ice cream. And I had to learn how to like take apart milk and put it back together, take apart the dairy system and figure out how to get the right dairy and all of these things. And I would not have been able to do that if I had gotten a lot of money early, came up with a concept and then launched it. So I guess what I'm saying too, is that some businesses are complete and you go get money because it needs to go fast. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's so much a part of the system and who we are and the opportunity that's available. So if your idea is like that, awesome. No, that's great. But what happens is that we teach people that all business needs to be like that. And then you overcomplicate it for everybody else and you leave people out. And really, we need to remind people, everyone in America, that anyone can do this. Anyone can start small and build. 
And then there's a whole bunch in the middle. Eventually, once you build your brand, then you can go get money and you actually have some power in that too, Mm -hmm. which is important, which is what I'm doing right now. Yeah. To your point, what I think a lot of people don't realize is sometimes these businesses do take time and that it's amazing. Time is such a blessing because you're learning something new every single day. You're correcting, you're getting better. You're learning about the ice cream market, retail, packaging, manufacturing, wholesale, like all of these different things, I'm sure. And it's so difficult. So how many total flavors have you created at this point? Oh my God, I have no idea. I've never counted them, but it's literally in the thousands. It has to be. In the thousands. And how many have like risen to the top of like, these are always the most ordered, most sought after? I mean, it's probably a couple of dozen at most, maybe less, maybe a dozen. Okay. So you've tried thousands of flavors and you've seen like 20 that people are coming back to over and over again. Do you think it's necessary to keep iterating? So there are flavors that we all love, like the high five candy bar, brown butter, all and brittle. The Dolly Parton flavor was so good. It's strawberry pretzel pie. Like there are flavors that just sing and they're really great. But also there are flavors like golden nectar that is like one of my absolute favorites that we've ever done. I've done it for years. And it's just not going to appeal to that many people because it's very fragrant and it's this beautiful white flower from Indonesia and it tastes like honey and spices. It's absolutely incredible. And I put like honeycomb candy in it and it's gorgeous. But we know it's going to be a lower seller, but it's one of those flavors that if you come in, you might try and have a conversation about, even if you're going to get brown butter, almond brittle, or high five, right? Because you know, that's so craveable. And so it's just like music in that way too. Some of the best music maybe isn't the most popular one, even though we all agree the most popular one is pretty great. It's just like that. You can't not have the other ones. That's part of ice cream because you're trying to speak to every single person that comes in. That's what ice cream makers do. We want everyone who comes in to find themselves a little bit in some flavor, because that's Mm. how we use ice cream. We're revealing a little bit about ourselves by the thing that we choose, by the flavor that Mm -hmm. we choose, and then getting to know someone else better through that. So the way we do our lineup is that we won't put all blockbusters in the cabinet because we could do that. Every single flavor we have here, we know is a super blockbuster because we'll lose people, which is sort of a weird thing. We need to have those more challenging, more fun, more nuanced, you know, some flavors are poetry and some are pop music and you have to just have both and everything in between. I love that. Some are poetry and some are pop music. Speaking of which, what have you learned about the human palate for ice cream, for sweets, how people eat ice cream, like anything about humanity (laughs) and people? Like we know what you want. Like Americans in general love salty sweet. Oh my gosh, that's the thing. They love salty sweet, caramel, butter, that kind of stuff. So that's like, always number one. But also there are chocolate people who like just go crazy for chocolate. And then there are people who are like, for whatever reason, have a visceral negative reaction to chocolate ice cream. I cannot eat chocolate ice cream. I don't like chocolate ice cream. I like chocolate in my ice cream. I like little chocolate chips in my vanilla ice cream. Yeah, I know. There are people who are just like, I can never, it's almost like it's offensive. Is that like a genetic trait? Can I 23 and me myself for this? Do I know if I'm a vanilla or chocolate person? I would say it's not just vanilla and chocolate. It's vanilla, chocolate, or caramel. Oh. We don't realize the love of caramel that this country has, but it really is that salty, sweet, butter, toasted sugar thing that Americans really go crazy for. And then if you can get chocolate in there and 
peanut butter or whatever. You know what I mean? Pretzels like crunchy. Do people like crunchy or smooth? Or is that a genetic trait too? Yeah. People do like that. (laughs) I'm just making this up. And also I think it just depends on the day. So I try to get everybody to eat on a cone. I think there are people who kind of go back and forth and there are people who love big chunks of ice cream and people who love smooth ice creams, but also a lot of people just go back and forth depending on the day. And cone versus cup? Well, in my opinion, and I'm on a tear about it over the last years is cone because we make ice cream to be licked. And what happens when you get an ice cream cone is that you can't put it down, right? So you've got to be present with it. And I think licking the ice cream pulls you into the moment. It's cold. It shocks your body awake. And then you start to get the sweetness. And then you start to taste the nuances and the bloom of the ice cream and all that stuff. But in getting you into the moment, you have to pay attention. It's actually a metaphor for life. If you don't pay attention, it'll disappear before your eyes, right? So having to hold it and care for it and pay attention to it also makes you pay attention better to the person you're with versus take a bite, set it down. Doesn't matter if it melts, doesn't matter what happens to it. You're not with it. (laughs) That's a really deep answer to the cup versus cone question. I was not expecting that, to be honest, but I really love it. It's like a little meditation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, everything I've learned since I was 22 years old, I'm 47. Everything I've learned has been through the lens of ice cream, including all of my philosophies, and so there's a lot of metaphor in ice cream, I've found. And flavor, you know, flavor, when you look it up in the dictionary, actually means, it says, the essential character of something or someone. So we talk about it all the time, like essential character, like what's our character? Who am I? You know, we do this all the time at Jenny's in the behind the scenes in the company. <laughs> How many people are at the company now? And can you give us any sort of scale of size that you're at at this point? About a hundred million. So that's a lot, not a hundred million people, dollars. I mean, that's like mind blowing to me. And also we still feel like a very small company. Feel like that when you're working in it, we just really feel like that. Even with COVID, even not being together with so many, we have about 60 stores. I think we'll open 20 this year. That's a lot. It's a lot for us. We've only ever opened like maybe 10 in a year, max, maybe eight. So we're really pushing ourselves and we're about... 1,500 people. And that's actually pretty small. We're having trouble staffing just like everybody in this industry and kind of still on that COVID schedule a little bit where we're not in full operation. Yeah. Did people buy more ice cream during COVID? Yes. And it was all delivery and all grocery. So our stores were way down, but we were able to make up for a lot of that with delivery and then grocery. It was crazy. But what happened is, and this is the thing, when your business gets into crisis... There is so much learning and fortification that comes from that. In the beginning last year, you know, none of us knew what to do. The government was saying we're going to be back by July 4th, which would have been great, but none of us thought that was possible. So we had to make the decision back in March, April to switch all of our production for the summer from buckets, which we scoop from, to pints. Mm -hmm. Which was a massive decision. If we had been back from COVID by July 4th, we wouldn't have had anything to scoop. So we made that decision so that we could fulfill grocery and delivery orders. And that was a big moment, but you just figure it out. You make it work. Wow, that's a huge bet. And by the way, I don't want to skim over the fact that you now have roughly a $100 million revenue business (laughs) from this girl that was living on $638 a month to a $100 million business doing something she loves, something she's passionate about, thinking about her customers and quality first and money third. 
I just want to commend you for that because that's humongous. You just have to surrender to that. At some point, you're doing a lot on your own. And then at some point you build this group. And when I think about what you just said, I think about them. They're just incredible. So yeah, I mean, I did my work and now I kind of get to do the fun stuff all the time. Well, speaking of, do you get to choose the new flavors? Are you still concocting and creating? Um, Really? Okay. So you're still like super hands-on. I spent 10 years boots on the ground. I'm the one that knows how to do it. It's my specialty. So whereas I take ideas from everybody, I just know more about it. My ideas are always better. (laughs) Well, I'm just going to say that we should figure out like a self-made flavor, like a female entrepreneur flavor. I don't know what it should be, but we should do some sort of an ice cream collab. (laughs) That's like a really badass female forward thing. Send ideas, everybody. Okay, we're going to end with a quick lightning round if you're cool with that. So whatever comes to your mind first, just say it. Ready? Favorite ice cream flavor ever. Brown butter almond brittle. It happens to be one of mine, but yeah. Okay. Favorite ice cream to gift somebody? I would say whatever's in our holiday collection because it's always like really fancy and beautiful. Swanky. What would you say to someone who says they hate ice cream? Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, come see me. You know, a lot of our customers actually were like, I used to hate ice cream and now I love it. I feel like those people are the ones that I want in my life. Right. The converts. We're not making ice cream for people who already loved the heritage flavors at so-and-so's place. We're making ice cream for people who didn't think that they liked ice cream, honestly. And I meet a lot of those people and they're like, I didn't think I liked ice cream until I had yours. (laughs) What do you say to someone who only says they like vanilla ice cream? I say, well, come try mine. It's beautiful. I love vanilla. I eat a lot of vanilla. I always have vanilla in my freezer here. So I'm okay with that for sure. Okay. That was a selfish question for me because I love vanilla. (laughs) And I feel so boring. I'm literally like a vanilla person. My husband's like, you're so vanilla. I'm like, oh my God, I just like vanilla. Stop saying that because vanilla is so rich and beautiful. Thank you. It's a good one to lick on a cone because you can like excavate more flavors with vanilla. Oh, okay. Thank you. I'm feeling more confident about my vanilla qualities. All right. Worst part of being an entrepreneur? The worst part is just being alone. You're always out in front of everybody else. Everybody thinks you're wacky. You're really just on your own island. No matter who you've got around yourself, it's a lonely journey sometimes. Yeah. Best part of being an entrepreneur? The best part about being an entrepreneur is that you get to surround yourself with people that you love and admire and that inspire you and you get to learn from them all the time and including your customers. Exactly. Favorite motivational mantra on a tough day? Honestly, For the last couple of years, mine is just really summed up in one word, which is sunshine. Sunshine Mm -hmm. is like my mantra, but I think of like, be the light. And I just think that sometimes when I'm having the worst days and I have them, like everybody, I mean, I put out a lot of positivity out in the world and I'm very much an optimist, but you know, life is also here in front of us and happening and there are things. And I find that when I can just be the light or even like sit in sunshine, it just wakes me up, makes me feel alive in a way. So I just do that. And then the other one I say all the time to myself is Kobe, it's keep going. Kobe Bryant, like just keep going, keep going. Hmm. Because you will always come to the other side of whatever is happening. And I've had multi, multi-year crises in my life that were devastating. You just have to keep going, keep showing up. One foot in front of the other. I love it. Be the light and sunshine is something that is definitely going to 
stick with me. And I think that is something I want to leave everyone here with today because you are pure sunshine, Jenny Britton. And I cannot wait to go try a thousand new flavors of Jenny's ice cream. (laughs) You should try Brambleberry Crisp because it's got a Brambleberry sauce that we make with fresh grown for us blackberries and then like a oat streusel. It's delicious. I love how excited you get when you talk about ice cream flavors. It like literally makes me salivate. The one you're talking about with the Indian flour, I want that one too. I want all of them because of the way you talk about them. You're also just a classic ice cream saleswoman. I'm just going to go order 50 now. And we're going to concoct the self-made ice cream. So stay tuned for that collab, everybody. But seriously, thank you so much for being here with us today. Where can everyone find you to order ice cream and to learn more about you and what you do? You can follow me on Instagram. I'm just at Jenny. J-E-N-I. And then of course, our website is Jennings.com. I'm all over. Perfect. You are so lovely. Thank you for sharing your story with us today. And congrats again on all of the success. It's so inspirational. That's our show for today. If you found it to be particularly sweet, please be sure to leave us a review and share it with your friends. As for me, I suddenly have a very intense ice cream craving that I'm going to go tend to. I'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Teach Me Something New, a production of iHeartRadio and Brit Co. I'm your host, Britt Morin. Find more information about each episode at Brit.co slash listen. You can also find me on social media. I'm at Brit or follow us at Brit and Co. Teach Me Something New is executive produced by Ali Ives and Ali Perry with additional production and sound design by Mark Lemmerjazy and Aaron Peterson.